You're listening to the podcast from King's Cross Church in Charleston, South Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about us, visit kingscross.org. I guess um, I need to, um, I, I am Charles Hook, <laughs> one of the um, lay pastors here, but um, I, I think I need to start with two disclaimers this morning. One is that um, this Father's Day sort of leads, lends itself to a topical sermon, and as I told some others, that's not my strength. I think I'm more expository. I'm not sure why Chip even asked me to do this sermon, except I think I'm the oldest father here. I've been a father longer, going on close to 60 years of being a father, so I think I'm going to win a prize for that. But um, anyway, it is a delight to be here. And the second disclaimer that I have is I have not been and I am not a perfect father. I've had a lot of failures in my life as a father, as a man, but as a father. But um, this is my sermon, and I'm going to cut out the bad stuff I've done and just leave you with the good stuff. So when you get through, you're going to say, man, he's a pretty good father. But I want you to know that I've, I've stumbled many times. But thankfully, through Christ, I've had a wonderful experience. You know, the greatest joy in life are your children. And the biggest headache in life are your children, right? It, it is. It, it, God, God knew that when he gave us. But we are his children. <laughs> and he would say the same thing, I'm sure, in different terms. But uh, I I've, uh, know that I've made some mistakes. Matter of fact, <laughs> you know, they call Sunday the Lord's Day. But I want you to know that Satan is very active on Sunday. He doesn't take a rest, especially when I was a father trying to get my family to church. It seemed like, you know, the worst day, you know, and I'd go in there and I'd tell Ann, I'd say, Ann, um, I want you to know that uh, we're going to be late again. <laughs> and she says, Charles, haven't I been telling you for the last hour I'll be ready in five minutes? I said, yes, I think you have. She said, why don't you go upstairs and help the children get ready? I'd rather go change the oil in the car or the tires. <laughs> she has laid out the clothes, you know. And I go up there, and I don't want to put on this. I don't want to wear this dress today. And anyway, why are we even going? I said, because we love Jesus. <laughs> and, you know, I'm driving and, you know, they're in the back seat, and one of them saying, you know, she's in my space. And I'm back, <clears throat> you know. <laughs> and then you may, it makes you say crazy things. I start speeding up till I'm doing 60 in a 35-mile-per-hour zone. And it makes you say crazy things, too, like, like and you're looking in that rearview mirror and said, don't make me come back there. Like, sure, Dad, come on back. Here we are. But it's, you know, and, and I was saying this one time, and I, I, there's this guy, Ken Davis, said, you know, he, 
he was talking about swinging to his children in the back seat, and some woman came up to him and said, I cannot believe that you're a Christian. You know, when somebody starts off like that, you know it's not going to be good. I can't believe you're a Christian, and you're talking about abusing your children. And he said, this other guy came up to him at the same time, and he said, I can't believe, he said he's an old guy, and he said, I can't believe you're swinging at your children like that. He said, let me tell you a little trick. He said, get up to about 50 miles an hour and tap lightly on the brakes. They'll come forward and they get in range. (laughs) So if nothing else, you've learned something today here as fathers. Oh, well. (laughs) I told my wife uh, when my daughters were getting married, I said, you notice that uh, both of our girls have married men much like me. She said, yes, and you notice I cried at both of their weddings, too. (laughs) But, as I said, maybe the greatest joy in life, other than knowing my Savior, are my family, my wife and my children. What a blessing that's been. I have two of them, or one of them here today, and uh, One's in Tampa, Florida, but, uh, and my daughter-in-law's come back, and that that's just blesses me, because that's an important part of who and what we are. Through the, through the years, through these many years of being a father, I've come to understand certain things that every child needs their father to know, especially their father. Their parents, this could fit parents, but especially their father to know seven things, and each of them, I've found, has a biblical principle. So even though I I call this a topical sermon, I wanted to use some biblical thoughts in here. It says that uh, children are a gift from the Lord. Children are a gift from the Lord, the psalm said this. They are a reward from him. Children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hands. How joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them. Children are, have you ever gotten a special gift? My, my daughter-in-law is here today, Dot Rogers. She's right up here, sitting here, if you want to know. Thank you for coming. <laughs> he may get fired from his other job. But, that's, but my daughter-in-law, Dot, uh, is a direct descendant, you might not know this, of General William Moultrie. And when her grandmother died, they were going through some of her papers that she had collected through the years, a lot of things about the Revolutionary War. And they came across a letter to General Moultrie from George Washington. And you know, they were just, Rogers even called me and said, Dad, I'm holding a letter in my hand from George Washington. And they decided, as a family, I think, how they did this, to give it as a gift on loan to the South Carolina Historical Society. You know, that was some gift. But it just tells us here that children are a gift, and they're a gift on loan, I want you to know, fathers, from God. They're going back to him one day. But he's given them to you, for his purpose. They are a gift to you. 
I um, think that as I said this, I felt like there are some 50 plus years ago, I remember getting up about 6 a.m. in the morning and my wife Ann had been up walking the floor since 2 o'clock. And we called the doctor and he met us at the hospital and <clears throat> after nine hours into the, the labor room, he came out and said, Charles, you have a little girl. And I thought, wow, I've never had a little girl before. This is special. And that day, that moment, I was given two great gifts. I was given the gift of a new life. And I was also given the gift of a new title. I was now a daddy or a dad. And it changed my whole world forever. From that moment on, things changed. And, you know, I felt like I wanted to I shape and, and, and mold this thing because I, I thought, man, this is, this is a gift. And I thought, I knew everything about fathering, and I knew nothing about fathering. As a matter of fact, it's taken me this long to feel like I do know some things that I can share with younger fathers especially. But it was through a lot of trial and error. And, and you know, what happens is, after you have a first child, if you have a second child, you think you can use those same standards on that one that you used from this one, and it just doesn't work at all. It doesn't work that way. They're totally different. Each one of them's different. Each one of them's a gift, and it's a special gift. I, I think through those years back then, uh, I, I, there was a man called Dr. Spock. He was the guru uh, on, he was the... Uh, Jean Piaget of, of children's uh, rearing back then. And, and through him and through other men that I've seen or learned from in my life, Robert Lewis was one of those that talked about men and their fathers and other, other pastors and other speakers and other friends. Through that, I came to this thought of these seven things that I think every father needs to know and that their child would want them to know. The first of those, which sounds very interesting or simple, is I need you to be there for me. Uh, I know that sounds simple enough, but in this country today, I just pulled up the statistics, 40% of children in grades one through 12, come home every day to a fatherless home, 40% of American children. According to the Academy of Pediatrics, children who grow up in fatherless homes have a greater risk of major challenges in life than those who grow up with a father at home. We might want to believe otherwise, and there are many children, and I know there are some here, who have overcome the hardships associated with an absent father. But the truth, this pediatric study says, is in the data. The statistics of fatherless children, according to a study done by the U.S. Department 
of Justice on Fatherless Homes states this, 63% of youth suicides are children in fatherless homes. 90% of all homeless runaways are children from fatherless homes. 85% of all children with behavioral disorders are children from fatherless homes. 71% of high school dropouts are children from fatherless homes. 70% of juveniles in detention are from fatherless homes. 75% of adolescent patients in substance abuse are from fatherless homes. And 75% of men who rape women grew up in fatherless homes. So the statistics tell us that a father is very important. The scripture says in Deuteronomy 1:31, you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son all the way he went with you until you reached this place. How important it is not only for the father to be present, but to be present in his children's lives. Dr. Paul Mercer, a researcher in his study says that 85% of a child's personality, 85% is formed by the time he or she is six years old and it won't be changed. How important it is for a dad to be there in his early years. <clears throat> My daughter, Lynn, who is not here, she was living with us when her husband was uh, in the military. While he was at summer camp, she was staying with us with her young son, and she was also eight months pregnant. And her husband, one of my son-in-laws that I had, I, I battled with him all the time, but thinking about my daughters. <clears throat> but uh, he, he wanted her to come up there for a special event she was having. And plus he was trying to get the cheapest ticket he could, so he had a drive to Savannah and fly up to Rhode Island. <clears throat> and anyway, she was staying with us, so she drove a car to Savannah, parked in the garage, and flew to, flew to Rhode Island, and then she calls me the day she's supposed to come home. She's supposed to be home at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and she says, Dad, they've had a mix-up with these flights, and my plane's not going to get into Savannah till 11 o'clock at night. Well, my wife, Ann, was keeping the smaller child, so she said, I know you're going, and I said, I am. So I got in the car and I drove to Savannah. I didn't tell her, but I'm standing at the airport at 11 o'clock at night, <clears throat> and I see her get off the plane and coming through the door, and I can see her looking. And she sees me, and she runs up, and she says, Dad, I knew you'd be here. I just wish I had been there in so many other times, in so many other ways. How important it is for us as dads to be there. The second thing every child needs their father to know, I need a healthy balance between love and discipline. God told Samuel to go to David when he was appointing him as king. God told Samuel, go and tell him this. Tell him, God says, I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. 
When he does wrong, I'll discipline him. In the usual ways, the pitfalls and obstacles of this mortal life. But I'll never remove my gracious love from him. Even God says, I will discipline, but I will love. How important both of those are. It, it, <clears throat> and, and I've had times that I regretted things I've said to the children. Um, I even had one, one day I told one of them, get out of the house and don't come back. And I spent the rest of the afternoon hunting them down to bring them back home. I, you say things at the wrong time, at the right time, I, when, with you, we're feeling a different way. A research article on fathering style states that a father that disciplines without love, a father that disciplines without love is authoritative and often abusive. A father that shows love without discipline, he shows love but no discipline, is usually permissive. And the child ends up being spoiled. A father that shows neither love nor discipline is a neglecting father. And studies tell us that a child that's in an abusive home does better than a child that is in a neglected home. But a father who shows strong love and discipline, the study said, is an affirming father. And the child is much more likely to adopt the parent's values with that style a father. The third thing I need you to know is I need you to discover my personality and to honor my bent. Now, the word bent, I know is strange to you, but I take that <clears throat> from the proverb that says, train up a child in the way that he should go, the way he is bent, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. The Hebrew word the way he should go implies the way he is bent, the way God made him. Train up a child the way God made him, and when he's old, he won't depart from it. See, as a father, <clears throat> it's so hard and so easy sometimes to want my children to do what I wanted to do or to be who I wanted to be and to try and live vicariously through them. But God didn't make them that way. He made them a special entity. And it says, train up a child in the way God made it. Look, look for that. Discover that personality. And discover that bent. And the earlier, the better. Train up him in the way he is made, the way God made him. And when he's old, he'll follow that. Um, I um, had a poem that I learned years ago, and it speaks to that. It says, I took a piece of plastic clay, and I idly fashioned it one day, and as my fingers pressed it still, it moved and it yielded to my will. I came again when days were past. The bit of clay was hard at last. That early image still it bore, but I could change the clay no more. I took a piece of living clay and slowly fashioned it day by day. And with my power and with my art, I formed a child's soft, yielding heart. I came again 
when years were gone, it was a man I looked upon. He still that early image bore, but I could change the man no more. I think the poet's saying how important it is that we pour into our children the right things and see them grow as God would have them grow. This verse I read about children, a gift from the Lord, it said they are like arrows in a warrior's hand. You know, I owned some arrows one time. I thought I was going to do some bow hunting, and I bought some semi-professional arrows. And I learned quickly that arrows need a lot of care. You can't shoot them into brick walls. It dulls the point. And you know, if you're not careful where you shoot them, you lose them. And if the feathers get messed up, <clears throat> the arrow loses its ability to go straight. And it says children are like arrows. They need special care in a father's hand. The fourth thing it says is, <clears throat> I need you to understand that you could wound me for a lifetime. In Colossians, it says, fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become <clears throat> discouraged. You know, the words we say, we sometimes wish we could take back. There, there's an old adage that says, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I don't know who thought that up, but that's a lie. Words hurt. You know, I can remember especially from my mother one time, I, I did something wrong. I left home, and she called me and said, I can forgive you for what you've done to me, but I'll never forgive you for what you did to your father. And you know, she did forgive me, but I never forgot those words. The words stayed there, and we, we need to be careful and understand that even in little things we can wound a child. Too much control crushes. Too much money can spoil or pacify. And too high expectations, they can discourage a child. George Brent was with the Kansas City Royals, baseball player, and in an article, he said his father had just one word for him, higher, higher. In the 1980 World Series, he batted 390 the highest in the series, and was given the trophy for the best player. As he ran back to the dugout, his dad was there waiting for him and said, if you had had just three more hits, you could have batted 400. Be careful what we say and what we do with our children. We can wound them for a lifetime. The fifth thing I need you to know is that you need to adjust your leadership style <coughs> as for, for me as I grow. That's, that's one of the hardest things that I think I had to do. Fathers, the scripture says in Ephesians, take your children by the hand and lead them in the way of the master. But you have to understand along the way, you have to change how you lead. And that's hard for fathers to do. From three or zero to about 12 years old, a child needs a coach 
A coach gets out on the field and says, don't do this, go that way, do this, don't do that. You, 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 and, and you, as a coach, you, you, you spend all that time with them. You, you never get out of their face. But when they turn 13 to 18, <clears throat> then, you, then you become something different. You have to, a coach is on the field. Then you become a cheerleader, and you move back to the sideline. And you're trying to, you can do this. Keep going. Keep trying. Don't give up. You know you can do it. But then as you, the child reaches 18 or 20 and on up, no longer do they need a coach or a cheerleader. But you end up not on the sidelines, but you end up in the bleachers (laughs) as a consultant. And you only give information when they ask. Now that's hard. That is very difficult. Because it's, you feel like I've stopped following. Matter of fact, I was in, Ann and I were in the store the other day and bumped into a former student of mine, dental student. And I said, well, how are you doing? He said, fine. And I asked about his family. He said, well, the children have all left. We said, well, how is it being in the empty nest? He said, well, it's difficult. He said, I know what they need to do. I just can't tell them anymore. How hard it is to become that consultant. The last six months, one of my joys is that each of my children called me. My older daughter called me, Marty, and she said, Dad, um, I'm chairing a, a committee for the church, a search committee. And we want to do a survey. And I know you've done some of these before. Would you look this over and give me your thoughts on it? And I said, I'd love to. Now, once they ask for it, I can give it to them. I want you to know. And then my middle daughter, she called me and said, Dad, I live in Tampa. She said, you know, I know for years you've taught this revelation study. And I've never been able to take it. But would you be willing to lead me through that? So every Friday at 11 o'clock for one hour for six months, we went through the book of Revelation. And then some months ago, Rogers called and said, Dad, I'm thinking about taking a position with another church, and I want to know your thoughts on it. Those are the joys of consulting. Those are the joys of becoming a father that steps back sometimes and waits for them to ask you. How important though fathers are in the home, George Barna, who does Christian surveys, said this. <clears throat> he said that if there is a family that is non-Christian, and the child becomes a Christian, 10% of the time, the family will follow suit and become Christians. He said, if there is a non-Christian family and the mother becomes a Christian, 25% of the time, the family will become a Christian. Barna says, if there is a non-Christian family 
and the father becomes a Christian, 85% of the time, the family will become a Christian. How important it is for dads to take up the spiritual leadership in their homes. Not only as a cheerleader and a coach and a consultant, but as a spiritual leader in the home. That's what God created them to do. Um, a lot of people don't realize this, but God never told, according to Scripture, God never told Eve not to eat from the tree. He told Adam. Eve wasn't even creative when he told Adam. It was Adam's job to tell her. And he stood there. Adam made a big mistake. How important it is for fathers to take spiritual leadership. I do believe this, and I've um, counseled couples that were getting married that I was going to do a wedding for them. I told them this, and I believe this. I believe that one day, every father will stand before God and give an account of his family. I believe that. He entrusted them to you, and I think you have a responsibility. The sixth thing is I need you to make some great memories with me. I need you to make some great memories with me. I, I, I learned that with my children, how important it was. We went on trips together, and we did things together. And um, I, I think how that became a, a focus of things we could still talk about today. Uh, Rogers and I did quite a few fishing trips down the, the rivers in South Carolina. I, I told this in one of my classes, but... We got into the Santee River one time, and the, and the, the river divided into the north-south Santee and the south Santee, and we got the boat into the south Santee, and it got stuck. And Roger said, Dad, I'm going to get outside and try and push the boat out. But we didn't have but one set of clothes, so he said, I'm just going, nobody's out here, we're in the Santee River. He said, I'm just going to take my clothes off down to my shorts. And so anyway, he's down in the water pushing the boat, and he can't get it out of there, and so... I said, okay, I'm going to help you. So I take off my clothes down to my shorts, and I get in there. We're both pushing the boat, and I'm straining. And Roger said, Dad, you're not going to have a heart attack, are you? I said, no, son, but if I do, before you call 911, you put my pants back on. <laughs> it's a memory, still a memory. Take your daughters on a date night. Oh, spend some time with them. Take your son on a fishing trip. I, I worked with a guy at the medical university, and I went into his office one day, and he had a picture back behind him on his desk behind him of himself and this older man, I could tell, a young boy and his older man with fishing rods in the hands. And I said, is that you and your dad? And he said, that's me and my dad. He said, that's my fondest memory of him. I said, wow, I bet y'all went fishing a lot. He said, no, that's the only time he ever took me out. But it's my fondest memory. Take some time 
to make some memories with your children. Harry Chapin was a songwriter back in the 1970s when I was growing up. He wrote a song that most of you wouldn't know unless you're older like me. It was called Cats in the Cradle. Oh, I, some of you didn't know that, okay. But anyway, it says, my son arrived just the other day. He came to the world in the usual way. But there were planes to catch and bills to pay. He learned to walk while I was away. He was talking before I knew it. And as he grew, he'd say, I'm going to be just like him. Yeah, you know, I'm going to be just like him. And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon, little boy blue and the man in the moon. When you're coming home, Dad, I don't know when, but we're going to have a good time then, son. You know, we're going to have a good time then. My son turned 10 just the other day. He said, thanks for the ball. Come on, let's play. Can you teach me to throw? I said, not today. I got lots to do. He said, that's okay. And as he walked away, his smile never dimmed. It said, I'm going to be just like him. You know, I'm going to be just like him. He came home from college just the other day. So much like a man, I just had to say, son, I'm proud of you. Can you sit for a while? He said, not right now, Dad. Then he said with a smile, what I'd really like to do is borrow the car keys. See you later, Dad. Can I have them, please? Or when you're coming home, son, I don't know when, but we'll have a good time then, Dad. You know, we'll have a good time then. Well, I've long since retired, and my son's moved away. But I called him up just the other day. I said, I'd like to see you, if you don't mind. He said, I'd love to, Dad, if I just had the time. But this new job's a hassle, and the kids have the flu. But it's sure been nice talking to you, Dad. It's sure been nice talking to you. And as I hung up the phone, it occurred to me, he had grown up just like me. Yeah, my boy was just like me. The seventh thing I need you to know is I need you to show me what you believe by living it. I need to see you living what you say you believe. The values are caught. You know that old saying, not taught. <laughs> Some years ago, one of our family outings, <clears throat> and as the children got older, they didn't care as much for them, but one of them was to go out and chop down the Christmas tree for the family Christmas tree, you know. And Marty was home from college, and <clears throat> we all went out to this Tugadoo Christmas tree farm out in Meggett, South Carolina. And uh, we looked around all over, and they told us you can cut down any tree, you know, and they had them by, you had a little stick to see how much they cost by how tall they were. And they said, the only ones you can't cut down are one with a yellow ribbon in it because somebody's already bought that one. They picked that one out and bought it. So don't touch that one. <clears throat> and so anyway, we looking around, and we looked all over, I mean, an hour. And so finally, we come back, and we reach one that everybody agrees on. I mean, it's like in, in Christmas vacation, the sun comes down on it. Boom, you know, it's right there. 
That's the truth. And so Rogers and I got there with a saw, and we start cutting it down. And just as it hits the ground, a yellow ribbon pops out the top. <laughs> I tuck the ribbon back in, and I pull the tree back up. And I'm trying to stand it on the stand. I said, God, what? And, and my older daughter, Marty, who didn't want to be there, said, she said, what's old Honest Abe going to do now? So we took the tree down and dragged it in and told the people, look, I'm sorry, I cut down the wrong tree. And they said, that's okay. They're coming in today to pick it up. I said, well, hallelujah. <laughs> but you know, what we say we're going to do and what we do are often different things. <clears throat> As children, they need to see you. They need to see dad loving mom and mom supporting dad. They need to see your character and your heart. They need to hear you say three things. Well, that's a fourth thing. They need to say often, and this is so hard for a man to say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I did that wrong. I'm trying, but I made a mistake. They need to be able to hear that their dad can make a mistake. But they need to hear you say, I love you, I'm proud of you, and you do this well. And they ought to hear that often. You know, God, the Father, spoke audibly only twice in the New Testament. <clears throat> Both times he spoke to his son. You remember that? Once at his baptism... And once on transfiguration, he said the same thing basically both times. He said, I love you, I'm proud of you, and he does this well. This is my beloved son, I love you, in whom I am well pleased, I'm proud of you. Listen to him, he does this well. Every father, should learn to say those words to their child. How hard it is for a father to say, I love you. Gary Smalling wrote a book called The Blessing. He says, you know, children long for the blessing from their father, even after he's dead. If they didn't get it, they feel a, 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 a void where the father says, you're good. You do this well. It's not what I would do. You do it better than me. And then they need to receive from you encouragement, instruction on life. And I need Jesus in my heart. <laughs> you can't give them a better gift than to see your children come to know Christ. A Dartmouth study, Dartmouth, said that children even come into the world are born with their minds that to believe in some transcendent thing. <laughs> they believe there's, there's some, we're born to believe in a God. You know why? Ecclesiastes said he placed eternity in our hearts. He made us to believe in him. Paul says when you look at his creation, you're without excuse. He's put it in us. And we need to teach that 
our children. <clears throat> Some 30 years ago, a good friend of mine, Dan Sneed, I worked with him and his wife, Cherry, and Ann and I were out eating in a restaurant in Charleston. And um, Dan's son and Rogers and I, we had been out, they lived in Meggett. We'd been out at their farm the week or so before shooting skeet with them. Dan and John Meta and Rogers and I. And Anyway, we were sitting there that night eating dinner and on the way out they had heard sirens coming going out toward Meggett when they were coming in. So Cherry got up and she called trying to get in touch with her son because it was the first night they were letting him go out to a prom with two other guys. They were just going. But when we got home that night, we left and we got home, two of our children, Marty and Rogers, were sitting out on the door stoop. And they said, Dad, um, they've been trying to find Dr. and Mrs. Sneed. And I called out to the house, and their pastor was there, and he said, it's not good. It looks like the coroner is here, and he's waiting for them. And their young 15-year-old son had been on a car wreck. He was sitting in the middle of the truck and the truck exploded and caught on fire and killed him. Ann and I got in the car, even though it was late, and we rode back out to their house. And when we got there, most of the neighbors had left, and Dan came up and he hugged me and squeezed me, and we wept. And then he pushed me back, and he said this, Charles, I want you to promise me something. I want you to go home tonight, and I want you to wake your children, and I want you to tell them you love them. He said, if I had one more hour. You know, if I have an application for this sermon. I hope every father today will get in touch with your children if they're here, in their room, wherever it is, and tell them you love them. And I'm proud of you. And you do this well. Let's pray. Father, I am so thankful for having a loving Father who has loved us beyond our comprehension. I'm thankful for those words that John wrote in his third letter where he said, I have no greater joy than to see my children walking with the Lord. What a beautiful thought that is. And I just pray that for every father here today and every family, every child. Bless us now, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thanks for listening to the King's Cross Church podcast. We hope that you were encouraged by the Word of God today. Take a moment to click the subscribe button on your screen, and you won't have to come searching for us next time. Until then, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.